Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to River Bluff Church. We're glad you're here this morning. And we're going to let you have a reprieve for a moment. Just take your seats for just a second. I have some, uh, some news I want to share with you, things that are happening around here. Um, and uh, one of those is that recently uh, God has raised up some new elders uh, for our church at River Bluff. Uh, we have an annual rotation. Uh, some elders rotate off. Some new elders rise up that God uh, raises up. And I want to introduce you to them this morning. I, I want you to start getting their faces recognized with, with names. You're going to be seeing more of them in the days ahead as they continue to to give leadership and service uh, here at River Bluff. And uh, these are some great men that I I want you to know. So I'm going to ask those brothers uh, if you guys would begin making your way up here um, so that we can see you. As they're doing that, I want to speak a word of thanks. Yeah, you can welcome them. You can welcome them. Don't they march well? They're so orderly. I love that about them already. Um, One of the things that I want to do is is this. I want to say thanks to our two elders who are rotating off, uh, David Blayton. Um, I don't see David in the house right now. But um, Dean Enfinger is also rotating off. They have served in extraordinary ways. Uh, These guys, they work hard, uh, often behind the scenes. Uh, You never see it. But they, I mean, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, into being an elder. Dean's, Dean's nodding over there. Um, other elders would say amen to that. Uh, and they do it out of love. They just do it out of love for you, out of love for, for our Lord uh, and his church. And um, so I want to introduce you to these, uh, to these brothers. This is Jim Roden. This is Tim Wilson and James Dangerfield. And so one of the things that I want you to begin doing is making some name and, and facial recognition, but more than just the, 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 the recognition here, uh, I want you to begin praying for these men. Be, begin praying for them by name. Jim Roten, Tim Wilson, James Dangerfield. They're going to need it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post their names uh, on the... Uh, uh, on Realm here this week so that you can be kind of captured by that and praying for them. If we can find some pretty pictures of them, we, we, might, <laughs> we might even put a pretty picture of them up uh, on Realm so you'll continue to do facial recognition. But you'll be hearing more from them and uh, about them in, in the days to come. And I've asked Dean Enfinger if he would come um, and lead us in kind of a, a commissioning prayer over them for what the Lord wants to do in and through their lives in the days ahead. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to come around, and I'm going to lay hands on these two guys, and Dean's got James covered. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come this morning acknowledging that River Bluff is your church, Father. And Lord, you've, you've raised up these three men, and they've been obedient to your call. And Lord, I ask you to fill them with that, that greatest gift, the gift of love, love for the people here. And Lord, I ask you to give them special wisdom, special knowledge as they they seek to guide our church well. Lord, and I know the enemy can come at all in ministry, Father, so I just pray a hedge of protection around each man here and their families. Lord, bless them in the call that you've placed on their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey again, there's a couple more of y'all in here than there was a minute ago, and we're glad for it. Keep them coming, keep them coming. It's good to see you, good to see you. Hey, we are um, in John chapter 2. You may want to go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, this is, we're, we started a new series a couple of weeks ago called The Heart of the Matter, and last week uh, I was bringing a message on John chapter 2 and got about halfway through, and it was time to go. So we went. And so we're picking up where we left off, okay? So we're back to John chapter 2. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to read the passage of Scripture that we're looking at. We're looking at John 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. And this is the record of the first miracle that Jesus did in his body uh, after he launched his ministry. And as you'll see, it's at a very wonderful place. Let's read together. John chapter 2, verse 1. 
On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And Jesus said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, notice this, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, they knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord God, we, we come as your people. We come gathered for the purpose of coming to you, drawing near to you. God, we come with hearts seeking you, believing that you have a word for our hearts, each of us individually. So Holy Spirit, I, I come now asking you to hide me behind the cross of Christ. Holy Spirit, I know that if anything good, if anything of kingdom value, if anything that will last happens in these next moments, it will only be because of you. So come now, Holy Spirit. Speak to us through the power of your presence. Draw us near. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a very, very brief review of the three points I did get to last week. Just so that if you're, if, if you're here, I, I met a couple people who were here for the first time. This is just to contextualize the whole message. I would encourage you, I know this may sound vain, I hope it's not, but for you to be captured by the whole idea of John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, I'd encourage you to go on our YouTube channel or on our website and go back and watch the first half of this message. It may contextualize some of what I'm going to say today. But just to review last week, uh, the first point that I drew out of uh, this passage of Scripture was this, that Jesus performs his miraculous work of heart in our ordinary lives. Now, here's what, here, here's what I understand, that the, the greatest work, miraculous work that's ever happened on the planet. It's not a physical healing. It is the miraculous transformation of a human heart. It, it wasn't uh, what we read today, turning water into wine. Oh, that was incredible. It wasn't the parting of the Red Sea. That was incredible. It wasn't even the creation. That was incredible. I think the greatest miraculous work is the work of heart that Jesus wants to do in you and in me changing a human heart, taking dead people who are cut off and called enemies of God and giving us life and turn us in, turning in, transforming us into the friends of God. I believe that's the greatest miraculous work that's going on on planet earth. And God wants to do that, I believe. Jesus wants to do that in our ordinary lives, his miraculous work of heart. And what we see here in John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says that on the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus had also been invited, and his disciples were with him. And what we see in this moment is this, this wedding was just an ordinary event. Now, it wasn't ordinary for the bride and groom, I know that. It wasn't ordinary for their parents and, and maybe closest family. But for the village that was gathered there that day, for, for Mary, for, for Jesus, the disciples, it was ordinary. Because when there was a wedding in that village, in that town, in that city, everybody got invited. 
Now, aren't you glad that every wedding that takes place in the Tri-County area, you're not invited to? That would get expensive, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it, that, that's all we do. We, we just do weddings every weekend. Um, but in that day, it was an ordinary event that if there was a wedding, everybody participated. And so ev- everybody kind of came out. It was just a, an ordinary event. And it's at this ordinary, kind of everyday moment, Jesus performs his first earthly physical miracle. Then last week, we also saw this, that Jesus performs his miraculous works of heart in our moments of need. We read this in in verse 3. It says, when the wine ran out, that may not look like a big deal, but it was a really big deal. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, did you notice who she went to? She turned to her son Jesus and said, there's a big, big problem. They have no wine. They ran out of wine. We talked a lot last week uh, about how this could be a stigma attached to this young couple, that they would never live down, that they were the people who would be known henceforth and forevermore as the couple who did not plan well for their wedding and their guests could not have anything to drink. It would have been horrible. It would have followed them all the days of their lives had that stuck. It was a need. It was a great need, especially for for this young family. And Jesus stepped in and did a miraculous work and met their need. And friends, that's where Jesus wants to do a miraculous work in your life and mine, is the places and spaces where we have need. And so we saw that we can take any and every need that we have, emotional, spiritual, physical, everything that we have, we can take to Jesus because he wants to do a huge, miraculous work of heart right in our points of greatest need. But one of the things that I want you to notice now is what Jesus does next. Jesus performs his miraculous work of heart always in the context of the cross. Look at verse 4. It said, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, we spent a lot of time talking about Jesus calling his mama woman. I'm not, I'm not going to go into the details of that right now, but trust me when I tell you it's actually an affectionate term, but I had, I called my mama woman, I, you would, I wouldn't be here today, you know? Um, but it really was, it was a, a very affectionate term that Jesus used here. Just, just trust me on that if, if you would. And what he does is he says, my hour has not yet come. What Jesus is doing in that moment is he's pointing to the cross. Now, one of the ways that we talked about knowing that is because the only other place in Scripture where Jesus calls his his mother, his mama, woman, is when he's on the cross. In John chapter 19, it's recorded there. You can go read about it. But while he's on the cross, he he speaks to his mother. He, He uses the very same word. The only other time in Scripture where Jesus calls his mother by this word, woman, was here in John 19. And and he he basically is making sure that she's going to be cared for. He's giving her care to, to the apostle John in that moment. And so in this moment, back at the wedding, he's pointing to the cross. Friends, any and every time that Jesus is going to do a work in your heart, a work in your life, do any kind of miraculous work, it is always going to take us to the cross because that's the greatest work ever done on this planet was the redemption that Jesus brought and bought for you and me on that cross where he took on the sins, your sins, my sins, all the sins of the world. He took on the very wrath of God that should have been poured out on you and I. It was poured out on him. He bore our sins in his body on the cross is what the Bible says. And because of that, you and I don't have to pay the penalty. Jesus paid it for us if we will accept it. If we will accept his offer to let his sacrificial death on the cross be a substitute for us. And the Bible says if we'll do that, he will forgive us. He will cleanse us of unrighteousness. He will put our sins as far as the east is from the west. And we'll never have to deal. We won't have to deal with the shame, the guilt of our sin anymore. So he, he always takes us to the cross when he's going to do a miraculous work in our lives. So Jesus points beyond that. But then there's something very interesting that happens next. You know, he, he, is, he has kind of ca- called this out and said, you know, this is not my time. What does this have to do with me? My hour's not yet come. But I want you to notice how his mama responds. 
It's fascinating to me. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there wasn't a hard no in what Jesus said in verse 4. He, he didn't look at his mom and said, no. He, he didn't do that. He, you know, he, he loved his mama. But it, it felt like a no. Did it feel like a no to you in verse 4? It just kind of felt like a no to me. But Mary did not hear no. When I was growing up, my mama never heard no from me. You know, she, that was just not something you... Now, I told you last week, my mama was, you know, like 4 foot 11, 90 pounds soaking wet. But I didn't tell my mama no. I knew what would follow the no. Anyway, Jesus has said this, and his mom looks... She just looks at the servants that are there and says, do whatever he tells you. See, Mary knew Jesus. Mary knew that Jesus was going to do something. It was going to be something incredible. It was going to be something powerful. And she wanted those people there to be prepared to do whatever he says to you. Friends, this is kind of the core of the story here. And it really is the core, uh, ground zero, if you would, of how Jesus wants to perform his miraculous work of heart in our lives. He wants to do it in the wake of our obedience. He wants to do his miraculous work of heart in the wake of our obedience. Mary says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Whatever he tells you. Friends, if you want to see the miraculous work of God happening in your life, it always happens on that step of obedience. That's where, that's where it begins to unfold. God does the transformative work of heart. It flows right out of our obedience. She said, whatever, whatever, whatever he says to you, do it. And if, if I, you know, were held down and somebody said, you know, in one sentence, tell me everything that I need to know about the Bible, I would probably tell you what Mary said. Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. Just whatever, whatever Jesus says to you, you, you do that. Now, one of the things that so often happens is when we hear Jesus say to us, do something, we, we come up with 67 excuses of why we can't do that. Or does anybody else struggle with 67 excuses other than me? I mean, is, if you come to, God comes to you and tells you to do something, you just kind of, kind of struggle with it. Well, you know, we try to tap dance around it. We, we try to deal with things like asking the question, did he really mean that? I mean, he couldn't really mean that. D- d- are, are you, do you know who you're talking to, Jesus? It's me here. I, I, can't, I can't do that. Or sometimes we, we, we may say something like this. I will get to that, Jesus. I'll, I'll get to that a, a, a little later, you know. Or, or we, we think there's just no way he could possibly be asking that of me. And friends, I want to tell you, yes, he could. He could be asking that incredible, unbelievable step of obedience of you. Jesus could be doing that. And friends, to see the miraculous work of Christ in your life is on the other side of obedience. Now, why do you think God arranged things that way? I believe it's because it is just the basis of the walk of faith. It's the basis of saying, I'm not choosing to do this on my own accord. I'm only doing this because, Jesus, you've called me to. It doesn't make perfect sense to me, but I'm going to do it because you said so. And what I've learned and what I'm learning is probably a better way to say it, is that as we, as we take a step of faith, as we take that step of faith to do his will when he tells us That's where God meets us. Now, that doesn't mean that God wasn't with us the moment before that. He was with us. But in that moment, when we take that that step of obedience, my wife's about to get nervous just because I'm getting close to the edge here. But when when we take that step of obedience, that first step, sometimes it may feel like you're stepping off a cliff. But that's where we meet God powerfully. That's where we get to see transformation taking place. God meets us right there in that moment, and and a miraculous exchange takes place. 
right there in that moment, in that step of obedience. Now, one of the things that you and I need to be captured by about, about this obedience is it needs to be a, a, an everyday occurrence. You know, you, if you're like me, you can have a, maybe a great day of obedience. And then the next day, a train wreck of obedience. Anybody else like that sometimes? I mean, you feel like, yeah, Jesus, thank you. Your grace sustained me, and it really felt like I knocked it out of the park today. And, you know, over here, it's train wreck. And they can be so close together. And, I, I, and so our, our lives need to be this pursuit, this regular pursuit of saying every day, Father, I, I want to trust you. Father, I want to I, I I I, I be with you. And it's not just me, and it's not just you. I mean, think of the Apostle Peter. God used Peter in some incredible, amazing ways. God used Peter to, to, to he called Peter miraculously to go to a Gentile's house, Cornelius. And, and Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He didn't want to be there, but he goes. He's being obedient. And while he's there, the Holy Spirit shows up in a powerful way. Peter is proclaiming the good news about Jesus, and they get saved. Gentiles get saved. It was unbelievable. It was a miracle of miracles. The church back in Jerusalem gets to celebrate this great, miraculous work of God. And it flowed out of Peter's obedience. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, stands up and and preaches for the very first time. 3,000 people get saved. That's like a preacher's dream, you know? Just to see that kind of work of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get saved. But then if you go over to Galatians chapter 2, a little bit later, uh, you know, those two times, Peter had a great week, great day, you know, great day of obedience. You get over to Galatians chapter 2, and we read where Paul, the apostle, has to publicly call Peter out for racist hypocrisy. It's just unbelievable. This guy over here that we're seeing the the grace and power of God flowing through him, you know, a couple weeks later, now he's being called out. And the reason is, is because for all of us, for every one of us, obedience today does not guarantee obedience tomorrow. We've got to be just consistently going to God every single day saying, Lord, I want to trust you. I want to want to trust you, God. I want that to be in my heart. So here's kind of a, a big question out of this obedience question, this obedience challenge from God's word. Right now, right now in this very moment, what is that step for you? What, what, is, what is Jesus calling you into in the area of obedience? What, what, what is that thing? Maybe, maybe for you it's to join a Bible study class. Maybe it's for you to, to, to take that kind of step and, and, and connect. Maybe it's to join a, a local church. Maybe you've been out of fellowship of a church and you haven't been under the, the, the authority and protection of a local church. And maybe God's calling you to, to join a church. Or maybe God's calling you to join a small group. Or maybe you're in a small group that you love and God's calling you out of your small group to start a new group so that the kingdom can grow. And others can experience the kind of life you've had in your small group. But, but you may be saying, small group? I don't want to join a small group. I don't even like people. You know, I don't know what, what your gig is. But you say, yeah, I don't want to do that. You know, maybe, maybe what God is calling you to is a mission trip. Maybe, maybe God has called you to think about that and pray about that and start putting money aside to do that. Maybe, maybe there's going to be a mission trip this summer, maybe. Let's say to Medellin, Colombia, to work with uh, missionary Brian Miller, who was here not long ago, uh, working at Esther's home. Maybe God's going to call you to do something like that. He, maybe he's knocking on the heart of your door, and, and maybe you've never taken that step of obedience before, but God's, God's calling you to, to go. And you may be saying, I can't. Or, or maybe you're saying, I, I, I don't want to. Maybe, it's, maybe God's calling you to be generous with your time. Maybe he has been knocking on your door, asking you to be obedient and surrender part of your time to kingdom ministry work. Where you would actually regularly 
dedicate some of your time to serve the Lord by serving His people or serving the poor, maybe like over at our ministry center, over in, at, at Midland Park, Low Country Cares. Or maybe God's calling you to be obedient in, in your finances, calling you to tithe, to give to more generously to, to His kingdom work. But you, you've got all those reasons why you can't. And, and oftentimes, you don't say this out loud, but it kind of starts out, yeah, but... Anybody else out there ever had the yeah, but disease? It's a deadly disease. Deadly disease. Yeah, but I got all these reasons, God. See, whatever that thing is, whatever that step is, God is wanting to release his miraculous work in you through that step of obedience. See, Mary tells the servants, whatever, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Then I want you to notice what happens next. Verse 6, it says, Now there were six stone water jars, jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Now, it didn't say that, that it actually had 20 or 30 gallons in it. And in fact, we know they, it, they didn't. We don't know whether they were empty or whether they were partially filled, but we know they were not full because Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And then it says, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. This is just a really amazing thing to me. What Jesus does, he responds to what Mary's statement was. You know, we, we kind of felt like he maybe had given a no to, to Mary. And, I just, and this is me. I, I just kind of imagine it. That Mary says, Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And I think she just went back to the party. I think she just walked away and went back to this wedding and the celebration because she knew. She knew her son was going to do something because we don't see her mention in what, in what takes place next. The only people that we know are there are the servants. I believe his disciples were also there. But I just imagine Mary walked away. And Jesus notices those six stone jars. And what Jesus says to them, that now they had a specific purpose. The scripture tells us what their purpose was for. But Jesus is about to repurpose them. Jesus is about to use them for some, something that they weren't there for. You know, this was, this was the day before there was this reverse osmosis for you getting clean drinking water and all that kind of stuff. Jesus is about to do something even more incredible than that. He's about to take something and do a miracle out of the obedience See, Jesus goes over and says, fill those pots with water. Just fill them with water. And I want you to notice the response of the servants. How did they respond? They didn't, they didn't do what so many of us would do and argue. You know, they, they didn't do that. The Bible says they, they went and they filled it to the brim. Now, they could have been lazy they could have done a halfway job. They could have done kind of a, a, a three-quarter job. But the Bible says they filled it to the brim. They put as much water as possible in there. They didn't cut corners. They didn't do it halfway. They were brim-filling obedient. That's what they were. They were brim-filling in their obedience to Jesus. They, they, they topped it off obedient. That, that was the way they, they came at this. And it was out of that. That kind of obedience, that level will be, that all in obedience, that brimming obedience that Jesus does his first miracle. Now, now what about you? And, and, and what about me? I want you to think back maybe those questions that I asked a moment ago. Could those be those places of, of steps of obedience that we, we process through? Are you brimming with obedience at whatever that step is right now for you? For you to experience the miraculous work of God flowing through you. Are you brimming with obedience? Are you, are you ready to do that? You, you can't wait to get out of here to go be obedient. Are you brimming with that kind of obedience? But it's, we're not done yet. I want you to know this next part of this. And then Jesus said to them, remember they had filled the, the pots to the brim. And then Jesus says to them, now draw some out. And take it to the master of the feast. The master of ceremonies. Take it, take it then. Friends, this is where obedience gets harder. This is where it, it, it really, really begins to get harder. Is because Jesus knows the outcome. If you will walk out in obedience, but you don't. These, these servants 
All they knew was they had put what in those pots? They put water in, in, into those pots. Now, remember, the servants were there when Mary declared to Jesus, we got a big problem, no wine. So they know there's no wine. And they know this could be a real big issue for their employers, for, for those people that they, that they love, that they would be the laughing stock of the village. If, if this doesn't, something doesn't happen. And so Jesus has told them to fill these pots up, and now he asks them to do something that makes absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense. In fact, if they do what Jesus asks of them, then more than likely they will be outing the condition of the winelessness to the master of ceremonies. Now, maybe he knew. Maybe he knew that the wine was about to run out. We don't know that. But if they go to the master of ceremony and they take him water, they'll be saying, we're out of wine. We don't have no more wine. All we got is water. And in that moment, they would unleash this problem for people that they probably cared about deeply. Problem for their, their employers, if you would. But even though it made no sense to them, even absolutely made no sense to them, they still walked in obedience. These brim-filled, obedient servants, when it made no sense, they still went. Jesus said, draw some out and give it to the master. And the Bible says, so they took it. And what I believe, this is just Joe's opinion here, what I believe happened Because the Bible does not tell us the moment that that water turned into wine. I believe it happened on the way. I believe that that was when Jesus transformed miraculously that water into wine. Was when they were willing to brim with obedience even when it didn't make sense. When they took that step of faith even when it didn't make sense. I believe that's when the transformation happened in that moment. Friends, that's when... That's when you get to see, that's when I get to see the miraculous work of heart that Jesus wants to do is when it doesn't make sense and we're still, we're still obedient. We're still brimming with obedience even in the face of something that doesn't make sense to us. It's in those steps that we see the power of God being released in our lives. And one of the things that I want you to notice is that Jesus never does anything halfway. Jesus did not turn the water into cheap wine out of a box. He, he, he didn't do that. He didn't just make it kind of ordinary, you know, wine. He made it extraordinary wine. One of the things that I'm, I've been learning uh, over the past several months is this, is that, and, and it's relearning because God's been trying to teach me this pretty much my whole life of walking with him is that God is not wanting me to jump from unique spiritual experience to unique spiritual experience to unique spiritual experience. That's not what God's wanting me to do. He's not wanting me to chase after mountaintop after mountaintop after mountaintop. He's wanting me and you in the ordinary moments of life to recognize he's present with us. And where his presence is, there is power to change. There is miraculous power in the ordinary moments. And so things like driving to work when the interstate is backed up and everything else in Charleston backs up, driving to work in an ordinary moment like that, knowing that God is with me. This is a moment that he could transform me. When you're mowing the lawn, or when you're washing the dishes, or when you're changing that baby. Every ordinary moment is an opportunity to experience that God is with us, that his presence is with us, his power is with us, his purposes are for us. That's what God wants to do. He wants us to stop trying to pursue every other mountaintop experience and look for him in the ordinary moments because that's when he's going to do something extraordinary. 
There's a little book that I have read and read and given away and given away. And so this is a fairly newer looking one because it's a little bit newer. But it's a book entitled Practicing the Presence of God. And it's a, a, a journal, really, a prayer journal of a man by the name of Brother Lawrence who worked at a monastery. And his job at the monastery was the kitchen. And he would prepare meals and he would wash the dishes. And his journal was basically the repetition of today... I washed the dishes, and I recognized God was with me. And the next day, today, I peeled the potatoes, and I realized God was with me. Today, I washed the pots and the plates, and I realized God was with me. Just over and over again, this, this journal of this man in the most ordinary of circumstances, experiencing the extraordinary, powerful presence of God. But for some reason, that surprises us. We, we, we think it's got to be grander and bigger. But, but let me ask you a, a question. When you think about God coming to people in the scriptures, where did, where did God meet Moses for the first time? What was Moses doing? He was tending sheep. That is the most non-eventful job on the planet. You know, unless a wolf shows up. But just watching sheep, sheep are boring. You can't teach a sheep, you know, to, to bark. You can't teach a sheep to lay down and roll over. They're dumb animals. There's nothing, ex but in the ordinary moment of shepherding, and not just shepherding, you know, for a few weeks or a couple of months. Somebody, you know, call it a dead-end job. Moses had been a shepherd for 40 years. And at the 40-year mark of his ordinary shepherding, Moses encounters God. Has this incredible, life-changing encounter with God. I mean, think about the apostles. Many of the apostles... They, were, they met Jesus. Matthew met Jesus while he was collecting taxes. Peter, James, John, Andrew. They met Jesus really mending their nets. Jesus' call to them, that encounter with them. They were in that mo just ordinary moment. They went fishing, they cleaned their nets. They went fishing, they cleaned their nets. They went fishing, they cleaned their nets. And in that moment, Jesus came and said, follow me. That day, Jesus said, draw out some and take it to the master. So they took it. Now, I want you to notice the result of that. Look at verse, verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. See, that's, that's one of the reasons I think it happened while they were walking with that water to the master of the ceremony. Um, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine... And did not know where it came from. Notice this. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, they knew. They had been there through the course of it all. They knew that this was Jesus at, at, at work. It says, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Then it says, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, just be captured by this for a moment. The, the, the master of the feast, the master of ceremonies that day, all of a sudden, these servants walk up to him, and they may be thinking they're bringing water, but when he drinks it, best wine ever. Best wine the man has ever tasted in all of his life. He is so shocked by how good this wine is that he interrupts the wedding. I mean, did you notice that? He goes and he finds, he calls, the Bible says, he calls the bridegroom to himself. He, he sends somebody, go get the bridegroom, tell him to come here. I know it's his wedding. I know he's celebrating. I know he's, you know, with family. Tell him to come here. I mean, this is, his mind is that blown how, about how great this wine is. And so, the, the, you know, the bridegroom shows up and the guy says, why in the world did you do it this way? Where did you get this wine? This is so good. And the Bible tells us that 
There was something incredible going on in that moment. There was the, the work of Christ. And this leads to kind of my last point here out of John 2, verses 1 through 11, is that Jesus performs his miraculous work of heart, establishing his great glory and our greatest good. Now look, look back at verse 11 with me, if you would, very carefully. It says this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Canaan and Galilee, and manifested, showed, put forth his glory, and his disciples believed in him. It was the first miracle. And glory came to Jesus. The servants knew. The servants realized what Jesus had done. It drew their attention to Jesus, that he was unlike any person they had ever met before. And not only that, the Bible says his disciples believed in him. Friends, that is the greatest good that can ever come to a human being on planet Earth is that you would believe in Jesus and that you would believe Jesus, that you would first believe in him, but that you would begin to believe him about everything. Friends, that's why this church is here. This church is here so that every time we gather to worship, every time we gather to pray, every time we gather to to study God's word every time we, we get together for a, a, a fellowship, the goal should always be that we would believe in him and that we would believe him, that we would, that we would trust him. But we've got to remember as we're doing that that our trust is going to get challenged. It, there are going to be times when our trust, our desire for obedience will get challenged. There'll be times when we'll believe, but there will be unbelief. And that's always been true of followers of Jesus. Let me show you. If you go over to Matthew chapter 28, most of us are very familiar with Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, he, he, he tells us that. But I want you to look at what comes just before that. Verses 16 and 17, it says, Now... The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So they were being obedient. They went. And it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some did what? Some doubted. Even here, just before, this is after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. They had seen his bodily resurrection now. They had been with him for about 40 days this is just before the ascension back to heaven. And there were still some who had followed him who struggled. They believed, but they had unbelief. Friends, I want to I encourage you that it is an appropriate prayer as a follower of Jesus to pray, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Lord, I, I, I'm trusting and I want to trust, but help my unbelief. Jesus wants us to believe in him. Jesus wants us to believe him and fully trust him. But Jesus knows there'll be pockets of unbelief. And he wants us to come to him with those. He wants us to take those places in our lives because he's got something bigger planned for us. And he wants us to first acknowledge that so that he can call us into that new step of faith, that new place of obedience. Because he has extraordinary opportunities awaiting us. And so he wants us to pray that way. He wants us to trust him when we, when we can't see. He wants to do a miraculous work in our hearts. But it will require that we believe in him and that we believe him. See, the, the, the Holy Spirit, he's constantly at work in the life of believers. And I don't know why he has chosen the slow path. But in, in my life, and I... I know in some of yours, the, the, the path for transformation sometimes is slow. Often pretty messy. Anybody got a testimony about that? Just how messy your life has been at times on this journey as, as God's transforming you? But what, what God promises is when we trust him, when we follow him, he does a work. It's a miraculous work. But we need to come to him and say, Lord, I believe 
But there's places of unbelief. There's places where I'm not fully trusting you. There's places where I'm, I'm not being filled to the, the, the brim obedient. There's places where, where I can't see it. I don't want to go. And Jesus says, come to me. There's places where you, you may say, I've tried to be obedient. I've tried to take that step, but I failed. There may be places where you're saying, I, I, I've tried to take that step. I, I, I tried to be obedient. I, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, Lord, but I, I got knocked down when I took that, that, that first step. I got wiped out. I got hurt, God. I believe, but help my uh, unbelief. Now, I, I realize that maybe, just maybe today, that there's someone here who has never taken that first step of trusting Jesus. Never taken that very first step of uh, uh, of, of putting your faith in him, of believing that he is who he says he is. And I believe that you were brought here today by God so that you could hear that he wants to do a miraculous work in your life, that he loves you, that he wants to transform you, that he knows everything about you and he loves you deeper than anybody else on this planet does and he has marvelous plans for you. He, the Bible says he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. Friends, that's intimacy. That's deep intimacy. That's, nobody on the planet knows. You don't even know how many hairs on your head you have. Well, maybe if you've shaved them or something like that, but, you know, you, you don't. Only God knows you that intimately. Only Jesus knows you that intimately. And he knows that place that he needs to call you into so that he can do a miraculous work to transform your heart. And it starts at the cross. It starts at that place where you come to understand that what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago was for you. To do something you could not do and that was pay a debt that you couldn't pay. And so Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He lived a completely sinless life. And he taught the word of God but then he died a cruel death that you deserved, that I deserved. And he died it as a substitution so I wouldn't have to, to die that way. So I wouldn't have to be separated from God. And he has called out and said, if you will receive my death as a sacrifice for you, as a substitution for you, you can be saved. I'll save you from the wrath of God. And you can become a friend of God if you will put your trust in him, if you'll, if you'll surrender your life to, to me. Jesus said, I can do that. I can give you that opportunity. I can do that kind of miraculous work in your life. But most of us here today, most of us have walked with the Lord for a while. Most of us have believed. But sometimes what we fail to do is is. And maybe it's shame, maybe it's guilt, I don't know. But we fail to go back to God to say, I'm struggling. I am right here on the edge of obedience, but I'm struggling. I can't see. I want to be that kind of person brimming with obedience. I want to be that kind of person who even when it doesn't make sense, I'll take that step. And Jesus is inviting you today to take that step, whatever it is. And the truth is, Jesus is inviting every one of us, every one of us, at some place, some area, some spot in our lives to take the next step of obedience, of faith and trust. And so the question is, what is it for you today? What is it for you? You know, his promise is, most of us like to, we try to live on the, 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 the fumes of past experiences with God instead of the fuel of a new experience with God. Jesus wants to fill you up with new fuel to live for him. But it takes that step of obedience, that step to give you power to live and walk by faith. But he's, he wants to do it again. And he wants to do it again, and he wants to do it again. But the question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him enough to take a step even when you can't see and say, I believe. Help my unbelief and I'm going to take another step. 
I believe. Help my unbelief. And he helps you and you take that next step. And he'll do it again. Pray with me. Father, we come in this moment. We come to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, I am asking you, please, please, Holy Spirit, speak to each and every heart. Speak to mine as we are here in this room. God, for those of us who have known you, who have trusted you, who have received your gift of salvation through your death on the cross, and we've been following you maybe for years, we come back again today to that place where you're asking us to take a step, a step into deeper obedience, maybe in our family, maybe with some friends, maybe, maybe at work, maybe in our finances, maybe with our time, but you were calling all of us to a new step of obedience. And you want to bless us, and you want to release your miraculous work of heart in our lives. And so we come. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, to each of us, you will reveal, you'll point out what that step is for us. Because we want to come as people today who say, I believe, I believe in you, Jesus. I trust you. I'm taking the next step. I believe, help my unbelief, because I want to take the next step. I believe, help my unbelief, and I want to take the next step. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you've never taken that first step. That first step of admitting to God that you know you're a sinner separated from Him by sin. And that only by His grace, through His Son Jesus, could you find hope. Could you find your way back to God? And you come in this moment, and your first step of obedience is to put your trust in Jesus, trusting that the miraculous work that he did on the cross, bearing your sin and the penalty of your sin, paying a debt that you could not pay, and you've come to believe that, and you're saying today, Jesus, my first step is to trust you. I come calling on you as my Lord and Savior. I come repenting of my sin, of, of doing life my way, and I choose, I choose as a step of obedience to follow you. Jesus says anybody who comes that way to him, that he'll miraculously, miraculously, supernaturally save you. Save you from the penalty of sin, save you from the power of sin, and set you free from the shame of sin. And all you got to do is call on him with that heart and take that step of obedience and make it public one day. Go public with it through baptism. Follow him publicly. Because Jesus, Jesus wants to do it again and again in each of our lives. Call us to a new place of obedience so that he can just release miraculous power in our lives to transform us. So what's that step for you? Maybe as we close our service with this song, maybe what you want to do is maybe you want to stand and, and sing or maybe you just want to sit and ask the Holy Spirit, show me, show me what my step is because I want, I want to believe. I want to walk with you now, Jesus. I want to see you do it again. Do the miraculous work that you do. Do it in me. It's in your name I pray. Amen.